Hello there, little masters, and welcome to the new weekly Prancing Pony podcast, where tonight, the good stuff is going to make you shine with your own blue light. West you hell, my friends. I'm Sean Marchese, the real-life Lord of the Mark, and I'm here with the man of the West, the hammer to my tongs, Alan Sisto. <laughs> okay, these are just getting weird now. Oh, man. Thank you anyway, Sean. You're very um, welcome. Folks, tonight, we get an up-close and personal look at the classic villains of The Hobbit, not counting the dragon, of course. I'm speaking of goblins. And I promise we'll get into a very fun discussion of goblins, orcs, and others of that ilk in just a moment. Others of that ilk. You just wanted to say ilk. Yeah, yeah, I did. But before (laughs) we get to the goblins, isn't it time for another Tolkien fun fact? I believe it is. Now, I've insisted that I, I love that music, too, I have to say. Thank you, thank you. We've had that one a little bit longer, so it's, we have. It, I, I feel more familiar with it, but yeah, yeah it's enjoyable. It is. Ditty. Well, I've insisted that Alan let me take the lead on this one, uh, and mm-hmm. be, and that's because it's near and dear to my heart. Uh, Alan, you know that my educational background is in classical studies. Right. That's why you're our resident word nerd. That that is true. Uh, but I don't think you know that I did my undergraduate thesis on Aristophanes, uh, the like the well-known ancient Athenian comic playwright, like when you're looking at I old Greek comedy, it's, it's not. pretty much Aristophanes. Yeah. So if I'm looking at the Greek version of like, you know, Friends or uh, Mork and Mindy, it's Aristophanes who wrote it? <laughs> <laughs> Probably even more like Mark Twain. I mean, he's like the like the okay. granddaddy, you know, he's uh, all right. All right. The Good, old fat. No, no, no. You're, you're, you're right on there. Um, <laughs> I didn't even know you could do an undergraduate thesis. I always thought the whole point about a thesis was that they were graduate stuff. Yeah, at my school, but, yeah. I, I did that for honors credit um, as part of the, oh, okay. the school honors wow. program. Yeah. Wow. So uh, I did not know that. Neither one of those things did I know. Yeah, so that was fun. But uh, So you may know, though, that Tolkien had some experience with Aristophanes. I do. Uh, I do know that. And, and for, for our listeners who may not know this, remember that before Tolkien fell in love with Germanic languages and literature— he was studying to be a classicist, and in fact, uh, he and his group of old school friends at King Edwards, uh, the TCBS, they were almost all able to speak, speak, wow. not just read Latin and Greek. That's, yeah, I remember John Garth uh, in Tolkien of the Great War talking about how the TCBS used to debate in Latin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm lucky if I could debate in Pig Latin. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, pig Latin. That's tough stuff. Yeah. Well, and and you know, for oh, well, me, not I mean, when you my, have a five year old, it, it becomes just uh, second nature. You, you, it, you become fluent it. in it. Yeah, because you just you're immersed <laughs> in it. It's like an immersive yeah. pig Latin. Because you can't use spelling anymore. He figures it out. Yeah. Uh, oh well. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Yeah, you get um, used to it. In a year, you'll be doing that. <laughs> I, I know, I know. I, we're we're already starting to to realize there's certain things we just can't spell out anymore. <laughs> yeah. But. Um, yeah, used to debate in Latin. I mean, that's that's pretty Isn't impressive. That when I yeah, I mean, when I studied classics, we we learned how to read Latin and Greek. We yeah. never really did. Mu- we would do reading out loud just to kind of get a feel for the pronunciation and things. But sure, you, you didn't speak it. It wasn't you know no, like it wasn't conversational. Right? No. no. What what's the way to the nearest you know Delphic oracle? <laughs> it, it wasn't the kind of thing you did. Anyway, I digress. But we do so. So every year at King Edward's school, they ended their school term with a performance of a Greek play. In the original Greek. Oh boy. Uh, and in 1911, the year Tolkien graduated from King Edwards, uh, his last term ended with a performance of Aristophanes. It was actually Aristophanes' play, uh, The Peace. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that play, Tolkien played the role of the Greek god Hermes. 
Um, mm-hmm. There's, interestingly, a, a photo of him in costume in John Garth's book, Tolkien at Exeter College, which uh, which we talked about you know, back when we interviewed John Garth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and which you can buy on John Garth's website. We'll, we'll throw up a link to that on our website. The book, Tolkien at Exeter College, not the photo of Tolkien in the <laughs> Hermes outfit. <laughs> So if any of you want to go for Halloween as uh, right. next year, right? Exactly. As Tolkien as the Greek god Hermes. <laughs> you can buy this. Yeah, no, but the the picture is there in the book, and it's uh, yeah. it's it's very interesting to think that this is the picture that uh, this story uh, that depicts this story. Yeah, but here's where it gets interesting to everybody else except me. Uh, after the play. <laughs> Which is to say that it's still interesting to me, but I think finally people are getting interested in it. Um, After the play, um, this is from Humphrey Carpenter's biography. It says, um, after the play, afterwards, another King Edward's custom, the national anthem was sung in Greek. And then the curtain dropped on his school career. (laughs) The school porter was sent by waiting relatives to find me, Tolkien recalled years later. He reported that my appearance might be delayed. Just now, he said... He's the life and soul of the party. Tactful. In fact, having just taken part in a Greek play, I was clad in a hematian in sandals and was giving what I thought a fair imitation of a frenzied Bacchic dance. Now, a hematian, for those who don't know, is a a garment worn by the ancient Greeks. It's a a kind of a cloak or a mantle. It's basically, you know, almost like a big sheet draped over one shoulder. A little bit like the Roman toga. Oh, my. So young Tolkien was having the... King Edward's equivalent of a toga party. You got it. Yep. Animal house. <laughs> yep. Yep. And that uh, that frenzied Bacchic dance he speaks of makes me wonder if he'd had a bit of wine as well. Mm. Um, and I mean, um, well, and if you've ever read Aristophanes, that kind of, uh, you know, party behavior, that rambunctiousness yeah. is really in keeping with the nature of ancient Greek comedy. It's uh, That it is. It's, it's pretty pretty raunchy stuff sometimes. But um so that that's that's a lot of fun, and John Garth has something else fun on this in Tolkien and the Great War. Um, of course, you know the King Edwards continued the tradition of doing these Greek plays long after Tolkien graduated. Uh, uh-huh. The TCBS, the ones who were left at King Edwards, went on to perform another comedy by Aristophanes the following year. Uh, Garth reports that Christopher Wiseman appeared as Socrates and Rob Gilson as Strepsiades in The Clouds a year later. G.B. Smith, alone of the TCBS, being from the school's modern or commercial side, did not study Greek. Perhaps this is why he was relegated to the role of the ass in one of the plays. <laughs> <laughs> they were directed by Tolkien's cigar-smoking housemaster, Algy Measures, and the boys feasted on a curious menu of buns, gooseberries, and ginger beer. Oh, my. Does nobody else remember these plays? One old Edwardian wrote in 1972. The grand parade of the chorus, clad in white vestments, down the full length of big school, playing on flagellates, or Wiseman and Gilson. I'm sorry, did you say they're playing on (laughs) flagellates? Are they carrying, like, whoopee cushions down the road? That would be appropriate for Aristophanes, but no, uh, (laughs) flagellates are like little uh, little flutes. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I much prefer the idea of whoopee cushions to flutes, but still. (laughs) The word looks like flagiolets, but it's actually pronounced flagellates, according to... Of course, of course. But, yeah, so, uh, or or Wiseman and Gilson munching on gooseberries on stage as they chatted away as though Greek were their normal tongue. My goodness, well... Yeah, uh, their secondary school experience was just a bit different from mine. <laughs> we we mine feasted too, on a curious I, menu and too. And I studied no, classics in college. <laughs> no buns, gooseberries, and ginger beer. It was more like pizza, Snickers, and Pepsi. Uh, <laughs> and and our, our Greek plays were usually tabletop RPGs. But uh, 
that is some truly great stuff. Thank you, Sean. Um, I think on that, we should just go ahead and get on with the discussion because we're not going to be able to top that with any other content. Let's do it. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and start exactly where we left off last time, and that is with the Goblin song. And no, right. I will not be making up a tune to go with it. Um, clap. I actually... Well, <laughs> no, go no. ahead. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to let you read it first, and then I'm going to say what tune I think of every time You have a tune? This. You have a tune to this. All right. All right. Well, yeah, I'm not going to sing it even if you give me a tune. No, <laughs> so no. I, and I'm not going to ruin it by giving it first. I want you to read it. Because then everybody And then after, I'll share... For the tune that I hear sometimes when I read this. All right, fair enough. Here we go. Clap, snap, the black crack, grip, grab, pinch, nab, and down, down to Goblin Town you go, my lad. Clash, crash, crush, smash, hammer and tongs, knocker and gongs, pound, pound, far underground, ho, ho, my lad. Swish, smack, whip, crack, batter and beat, yammer and bleat, Work, work, nor dare to shirk while goblins quaff and goblins laugh round and round far underground below my lad. There you go. So what Very tune nice. did you hear to that? Well, thank you. Are you a King Crimson fan at all? You know, I've heard a couple of them. I can't say that I'm a fan. I, I just uh, know of there, them. There's a, song, there's a song of theirs called 21st Century Schizoid Man. It's one of their, one of their oh my goodness. fairly well-known songs off their first album. Uh, okay. Go listen to that song and read this poem. And I, I swear, oh it, it, parts of it it's actually work. Yeah. Okay. I will. I will do that as soon as our recording is done. Yeah. Um, and you'll love that. And then I'll the never day I realized that I, I have never listened to that song the same way again. It, I'm, I'm glad to say it didn't. It didn't ruin this poem. It, Good. It ruined that Good. song. For it ruined me. the song, not the poem. Well, I guess which is kind of sad because I, I do like that song. But yeah, that's awesome. I'm sure there are some others in our audience who, uh, who, who are familiar with that. But I guess for the rest of us, we should look it up and uh, take a listen. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> before we dig in uh, to the poem itself, um, and we will, I assure you. I think we need to address something that folks have asked us over and over again, the difference between goblins and orcs. Yes. It is a question that comes up a lot when you're comparing The Hobbit to the rest of the legendarium. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, it's very obvious. We see goblins here and we see orcs everywhere else in the legendarium. And in Just fact, about. we did get a question very similar to this from a few of our listeners. Uh, too mm-hmm. many to name, unfortunately. Yeah. But... Um, in reality, I think, I think most people who have read, you know, pretty extensively have figured out that goblins and orcs are two words for the same creature. Yeah. Uh, Tolkien uses both terms interchangeably in Lord of the Rings, and in some of his letters. Uh, in in fact, even in the in the index to the Lord of the Rings in the back of Return of the King, the in- index entry for goblins actually even says, "See orcs." So <laughs> now so that would be that. cool if it in the orcs entry it said sea goblins. Sea goblins. <laughs> <laughs> the professor in his sense of humor it wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't put yeah. it past him. That would be funny. Um actually you can even go back to early writings like the Book of Lost Tales and you can find mm-hmm. references to orcs oh, yeah. referred to as Melko's goblins. Yeah. Uh, they really, really are the same thing. And and you can see this even in the name of the sword that we talked about a couple of episodes ago, Orcrist. Mm-hmm. Yep. is translated as goblin cleaver, but the word orc is very clearly there with the meaning of goblin. Right. And that actually is a Sindarin word, orch, plural ir. Uh-huh. Um, 
If we go back to uh, the preface note at the beginning of The Hobbit, this is the one that I got the Philology Fair segment on dwarves from back in episode, was it 55? Um, 55, I think, yeah. Yeah. Dwarves is the first linguistic note in that preface, and the second linguistic note in that preface is this. He says, orc is not an English word. It occurs in one or two places, but is usually translated goblin or hobgoblin for the larger kinds. Orc is the hobbit's form of the same name given at that time to these creatures, and it is not connected at all with our orc, O-R-C, orc, O-R-K, applied to sea animals of dolphin kind. So, you know, of course, the the creatures we call orcas today. Right, killer whales, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, John Ratliff has an interesting essay on goblins in the history of the hobbit, in Mm -hmm. which he traces the various uses of the term goblin. Uh, and some of Tolkien's inspirations, such as the works of George MacDonald and, and even in his own writing, going back to the Father Christmas letters um, that he wrote to his children yeah. back in the, the 20s, 30s, and 40s, which we covered in our Christmas episode last year. Folks, you should all listen to that, episode 28. That's a fun one. Mm-hmm. Um, Ratliff even points out, and I'm going to quote here, there seems to be no connection between the goblins of the Misty Mountains and the necromancer who lurks in Mirkwood. Through the necromancer may have been served by wolf packs and orc patrols in the Lay of Lathian, but not even a hint suggests that the great goblin owes the necromancer of our story allegiance or is in any way under his sway. Mm. So, you know, it, it's, um, it, it's a valid question, and one could certainly be forgiven for thinking that orcs and goblins are two different things, but Tolkien has said himself that they, they really aren't. So it just begs the question, then, why two different terms? Why, why call them goblins in The Hobbit? And then call them orcs everywhere else. But Ratliff answers this uh, in the same essay a little bit later. He says, it's possible to read orc as the more specific term and goblin as the more generic. But often, goblin apparently replaces the more common orc simply for the sake of variety. On the whole, the evidence suggests that Tolkien preferred orc for works in the direct line of the Silmarillion tradition, such as the sketch of the mythology, the narrative poems that make up the lays of Beleriand, the 1930 Quinta, and so forth. But he used goblin in more lighthearted contexts, such as the Father Christmas letters and here in The Hobbit. Yeah, and you can certainly see that. Mm-hmm. Now, that, of course, <laughs> begs the question of why oh, Tolkien We're just going to keep on begging or, questions all night long. We are going to keep begging questions because we're into <laughs> word nerdery here, and I just got to yes, keep we going. Are. Um, so why did Tolkien prefer orc for the more serious works? Well, mm-hmm. that, I think, goes back to the real-world etymology of the word. Um, For that, I'm going to go to one of my favorite word nerd references. It's the book I mentioned in the last episode, Ring of Words, uh, Tolkien and the Oxford English Dictionary, um, by Peter Gilliver, Jeremy Marshall, and Edmund Weiner. Um, These are uh, three lexicographers who work for the Oxford English Dictionary today and have done a really cool job of putting together a book that part biography talking about Tolkien's um, experience working on the OED, uh, Mm -hmm. as well as a study of some of the words that um, that Tolkien popularized, kind of dug out of obscurity and things like that. Oh wow! Okay, it's a it's a fantastic well book. Well worth and the read. Yeah, it it really is, and it's um, I don't think uh, it's easy. It's not very easy to find uh, in uh, a hard copy, uh, but there is an ebook available on Amazon, okay. and and that's what I've got. Anyway, despite the fact that Tolkien says in the preface to The Hobbit that orc is not an English word. It actually is an Old English word. Uh-huh. Um, the, the Old English word orc appears in Beowulf in the, com- in the compound orcness, which refers to evil spirits or walking corpses. 
Um, there's a phrase. Zombies? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Walking Dead. Also, you know, something that would have fit well into the last That's episode true. when we talked about ghosts. That's true. Yeah. Um, but there's a phrase in Beowulf, uh, Eotenas und Ilfe und Orkneas. And that's giants and elves and demons. It's mm. uh, Orkness is, is translated demons there. Wow. We also get uh, Eotenas, giants, which is right, the word we discussed talked in the about last second episode. last time. That word orc probably comes from the classical Latin orcus, which is the name of the uh, one of the names of the god of the underworld. Okay. But it is so rarely attested in Old English literature that we can deduce little about how uh, it got into English. Okay. That, again, is from Ring of Words. Uh, whereas Goblin's etymology is explained in the same book, uh, Goblin is not an inherited Old English word like elf or dwarf, mm-hmm. but was borrowed in the 14th century from French or Latin, though it may ultimately be Germanic if, as etymolo- etymologists think, it is related to German kobold. I actually prefer etymologists like you were about etymolo- to say. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, If it is related to the German word kobold, a spirit haunting mines and caves and a lot of low-level dungeons for the That's what I was about to say. A lot of (laughs) first-level DM dungeons. Man, I love that. Yeah. Knew where I was going. So I I think that's certainly where I first heard of him. So I think Tolkien's use of goblin in The Hobbit is partly a result of his translating this uh, supposedly elvish word orc into the more familiar... Uh, romance root word goblin, but mm-hmm. it's also a result of the fact that he knew that the real etymology of work was really pretty evil and sinister. Yeah. And he wanted to make the goblins uh, in his Father Christmas letters and in The Hobbit a little bit more ridiculous and a little bit less threatening. They're, they're still evil, certainly, certainly, but I guess he doesn't want you thinking of walking corpses and demons. And demons, yeah, definitely. Wow. Well, there you have it. The full Prancing Pony podcast, podcast, podcast treatment <laughs> of the terms orc and goblin. There you go. I didn't dial up the effect in time, so I just had to wing it. <laughs> you just had, you just had to do it uh, manually. There you go. Vocally. <laughs> I'm the luckiest man, man, man. man. The old the face, the face, face, the earth, earth, earth. earth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. So we did the we did the poem. Uh, and we'll, we'll glance at some of these uh, words a little bit more in depth. Uh, I just want to say the first thing is that this is really only a little bit better than Vogon poetry. It is probably the fourth worst poetry in the known universe behind the Vogons <laughs> yeah. uh, and the rest, uh, including, I, don't, I, can't, I can't remember her name. but um, that, that poor person that was named in, as yeah. the, uh, the worst poetry <laughs> in the, the world. the worst poetry in the universe, the entire universe. Paula something from Sussex. Yeah, or Essex, I don't remember. But yes, like, yeah, something like that. Um, oh, my freckled grunt bugly. Now, that would have been a great poem to insert here to have the, <laughs> the Goblin King that could recite been, that one. But Oh, freckled grunt bugly, thy, thy micturations are, are to me. me. Yes. As turtle glabble blanchets on a lurched <laughs> bee. <laughs> what a great line. Folks, if you haven't read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, please do that. But not Do yourself a favor yeah, and do it. It's nice. a short... Fast, fun read. It really is. Just not right now. If if we make you laugh, and we probably don't, but if we do, <laughs> Douglas Adams will definitely make you laugh. Oh, most assuredly. Um, so you know, the first thing that jumps out at you with this poem, and and we talked we talked about this, I think, back on Tolkien Reading Day when um, uh, this year's Tolkien Reading Day was on poetry, uh, was the monosyllabic nature, of, yes, almost entirely of this mm-hmm. uh, of this deal. I mean, there are only a handful of words in this whole thing that are multisyllable. Uh, goblins, yeah. you know, their own goblin town. Sure. Underground. Hammer. And then you got knocker. hammer, knocker, and batter, and yammer. That's it. Yeah. Everything else. 
Everything else is, is monosyllabic. monosyllabic. That's a good point. And uh, I mean, no, that doesn't surprise me, given the, the, the <laughs> in theory, the functioning intelligence of the goblins. This is very true, yeah. But um, it gives the poem a very, um, a very abrupt, very percussive. Very, yeah, percussive. Uh, That's a good of, way of putting it. Yeah, kind of, kind of feel to it. It's these just short, uh, sharp, barked harsh. phrases. You yeah, know? yeah. Very harsh, and um, it's, it's and all. I think that's what made me think of the the King Crimson song. That makes actually sense. Is because there's just these really short phrases that are just kind of yelled into the microphone. Um, Interesting. I'll have to listen to that. This is you know the the monosyllabic nature is one thing, and then you add the fact that a lot of these words are simply onomatopoeia. Um, yes. What's the definition of onomatopoeia? Word, Those are words that words sound like words that sound like what they a are. Sound boom. You know bang. Yeah. You know, clap, snap. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so bang. Yeah. Pow. Yeah. Clash, yeah. crash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Swish, smash. And these are all very. Uh, these are all very violent. Oh, on violent. Very violent. You know. This is uh, of not, course. You know, because yeah. goblins. Because <laughs> goblins. You're right. <laughs> Good way of putting it. This really is a pretty terrifying poem. If you're being uh, shoved and you know grappled by a half a dozen goblins as you're being pushed in yeah. the dark to some, you know, terrifying red light in front of you. Uh, yeah. This yeah. is this is scary stuff. They're basically saying, you're going to go down and you're going to be our slaves and we're going to laugh and drink and you're not going to dare to stop working uh, because we're going to be whipping you the whole time. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, they're, they're really celebrating, you know, capturing enslavement slaves. and torture. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Capture, torture, and slavery. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say there's a little bit in this second stanza. So you got hammer and tongs, knocker and gongs, pound, pound, far underground. Does that make you think of anything like, say, oh, I don't know, hammers fell like ringing bells in places deep where dark oh, things yeah. sleep? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a, it's kind of an inversion of. Of the, not even really not an inversion, even inversion, just an echo of, yeah, the, of the it really is. Song. And yeah. and I think we'll see some more echoes of dwarves in goblins, just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I think we will. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, they do get. Now we're not going to read this next little bit, but they they um, you know we we get the the ugly laughter of the ho ho my lad. It's it's very clear what the meaning is that they're being whipped even now. Um, that they're already yammering and bleeding like sheep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they get into the main cavern, and that's you know that's another really good point. The the, the song is actually describing what's going on. Yeah. You know. Yeah, they've they're, pinched the them, song, they've nabbed them, and now they're yeah. going down, down to Goblin they, Town. You wonder if the goblins might even be freestyling a little bit and you know <laughs> just responding to what's going yeah, on. You know, yeah, seeing maybe. what's going on. You know that I guess that's possible. I mean, I, I kind of imagine this is almost their. Their theme song for capturing slaves. It, 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 yeah, it probably is. They probably are. Maybe the the motion, the the actions are following the song more so than that's the true. Song following the actions. Yeah, that may be the case. Well, whatever like, it is, now is the time when they yammer and bleat. Right, now is the time right. when now we whip the, them. It's almost like a, a little kids thing. Now watch as the little as the kid gets you know smacked with a whip and they batter and beat right. and yammer and bleat. Right. Right. Um, yeah, we won't be singing this to our kids anytime soon, really. No. Not not in that context. We'll be singing no, it from no. the story of we'll, the... we'll read the book to yeah, them, yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. But, but... No, we're not going to put them to work like that. No. Yet. 
<laughs> we'll put them to work as soon as we can. Yeah. In perfectly legal and yeah, and, and whipless ways. And and, and parentally supportive yes, ways. Exactly. But. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um so you know, what whether this was freestyle or not and uh and, and, and all child raising stuff aside, they do eventually find their way into this big cavern. Uh they're already, like we said earlier, yammering and bleeding like like sheep, basically. Um and they get into the cavern, and it's lit by this big fire, and it's just mm. filled with goblins. And they're, you know, having a big old party. Woohoo! We've captured some more slaves. Um, Laughing and stamping and clapping their hands. Oh, this is a, yeah. This is a fearsome scene. This really is terrifying. I mean, it, the, the fear that must be going through even the dwarves' mm-hmm. minds, and then poor Bilbo. I can't even he must nearest just be to the whips. I know because he's in the back. Terrified. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they already see the horses and they're being rummaged through. Well, not, they're, the horses aren't being rummaged through. The packages are. <laughs> They'll save the rummaging through the horses for later. For very Yeah, for, that'll be pretty you know, soon. But we know they'll do it because, as the text says, the goblins eat horses and ponies and donkeys. Yeah. And they're always hungry. Um, and other much more dreadful things. Oh, I know. What in the world does that mean? <laughs> I mean, I can't think no, of I... anything much more dreadful to eat than donkey. <laughs> Maybe people. I don't know. Maybe yeah, I think other. that's the hint: is that they're yeah. that they'd be perfectly happy to eat dwarves or or hobbits. But it's um, another way that he kind of uh, he it, kind of sanitizes it a little yes, bit. Yes, he does you know, for the young audience. You know, yeah. Oh, oh, much more dreadful things than that. Yes, but dreadful. we shall not mention those much more dreadful things. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So they, they're never going to see the ponies again, which is sad. Um, no. I mean, I think we know their fate. <laughs> yeah. Do, uh, do do goblins make like hot dogs? Because. That's probably where I don't think they're quite as good uh, uh, as good at cooking as trolls are. No. They're, they're probably not making a pie or anything like that. <laughs> that would be a big pie. No, you're right. They're, they're definitely not. Donkey pie. Donkey pie. Oh, goodness. I, I could just see uh, Eddie Murphy's donkey and Shrek. Oh, <laughs> like, no. What? Oh, man. <laughs> I know. Come on, Shrek. <laughs> I'm in a hot dog now. <laughs> Oh goodness, uh, we we digress. We always do. We do. We do so indeed digress. I am going to have you, Sean, read that uh, the the paragraph about well, most of the paragraph of that are actual arrival there and, and what they see. The okay. Goblin King, the Great Goblin. There in the shadows, on a large flat stone, sat a tremendous goblin with a huge head. And armed goblins were standing round him carrying the axes and the bent swords that they use. Now goblins are cruel, wicked, and bad-hearted. They make no beautiful things, but they make many clever ones. They can tunnel and mine as well as any but the most skilled dwarves when they take the trouble, though they are usually untidy and dirty. Hammers, axes, swords, daggers, pickaxes, tongs and other instruments of torture they make very well Mm. or get other people to make to their design prisoners and slaves that have to work till they die for want of air and light it is not unlikely that they invented some of the machines that have since troubled the world especially the ingenious devices for killing large numbers of people at once for wheels and engines and explosions always delighted them and also not working with their own hands more than they could help but in those days in those wild parts they had not advanced, as it is called, so far. Mm, boy, there's some good stuff to unpack oh, here. I love, I love that, that paragraph of, so yeah, much. Yeah, there really, it, really is a lot there. 
It is such a great paragraph. So much about goblins. So much about us. Yes. <laughs> you know, boy, there's just, you're there's not just kidding. Such a great statement there. There really is. Um, but we start with the bobblehead goblin king. Uh, yeah. The tremendous goblin with a huge head. I just huge head. I'm picturing this sort of. You know, well, like I said, bobblehead, sort of uh, very yeah, you know, outsized I mean, that's, that's, head, a, that's a good image. Um, you know, minus the bouncy nature. Uh, yeah. And this is interesting, the yeah. bent swords. Now, didn't we had a question real recently about We did a, a couple of episodes ago. We had, we had a question about uh, Orcrus being a bent sword. And, oh, yeah, because um, in the film, yeah. Yeah, in the film, uh, Orcrus was, was a bent sword. But, um, yeah, uh, Tolkien only really ever refers to... Um, in the finished works, he yes. only ever really refers to um, you know goblins and the forces of evil using bent swords, and you're probably imagining something something like scimitars. Yeah, um, I wonder why get, that is. Uh, I, I, is there something about kind of you know bent is also a word that that carries with it that connotation of um, of, of you know perverted or twisted or demented. It's um, yeah, at least it's a synonym for those things, right? Something can be bent. Yeah, that's true. And I, yeah, I that's true. That's... It's, it, it's interesting that it's bent and not curved. You know, yeah. curved kind of implies uh, uh, some grace and beauty. Right, Whereas right. bent, maybe maybe they're not even scimitars. Maybe they're just sort of these lumpy, poorly forged things. I that's don't know. That's true, too. Yeah, maybe kind of swirly sort of, you know, like the edges don't, they're not mirrored images of each other. They're not symmetrical blades, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But they it's and they and they certainly make no beautiful things yeah. because they, you know, they're well, they just they they're not art they're not artists. Their function is more important it. than form by far. Yeah, um, yeah. But they are good at making things. Uh, certainly, they clever are good things. at making things. And this is interesting. They're very strongly compared to dwarves here in in, in, their, in terms of their ability to tunnel and mine. To tunnel and mine. Yeah. Yeah. But when they take the trouble, yes. But they're generally untidy and dirty. Yeah. So they so, still accomplish. Um, so they're it. capable of doing it, but they're frankly they're lazy. Yeah, that's um, exactly right. You know, they're capable of tunneling, and they could, you know, they could delve out. Yeah, you know, huge, big, massive huge mines. Holes and, 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 yeah, yeah. But they don't. But uh, if they're they usually don't, they just untidy. Do these, these little tunnels. But then what else? So they, you know, they're really good at making weapons. Right. Of course. Well, that makes sense. Um, you know, and instruments, and instruments of, of torture. torture. That's. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know. There's something that Jackson may have gotten right, arguably, in the film. This idea of the, the the bone breaker and the whatever crusher. I mean, you know, the devices that the Goblin King was was talking about bringing out yeah. to use on the dwarves to make them talk. Um, yeah. You know, clearly that's not too much of a stretch. They they would make right. things like that, or at least have them made. Um, mm-hmm. You know, by their by their slaves. Have them made, I think, is key yeah. because. You know, Twice we they, get that that they don't want to they, do it yeah, by yeah, themselves. They, oh, they no. don't want to do it themselves. No. They'll have they'll have slaves do it for them. Absolutely, if they can. And um, and then we get, oh, uh, yeah, one of my favorite uh, because it's 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 horrific. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it is. it's just a, just a brilliant insight um, in, in this in this last part about how goblins have probably created some of these these horrible machines yeah. that that kill large numbers of people at once and. Um, you know, obviously we've we've talked about um, you know the horrors that Tolkien saw in World War One. Yeah, um, you know that's the, exactly the, what I'm thinking about. Things like the, the machine gun and, and artillery yeah. and and the art the artillery shells. And, oh man, um, just yeah. I mean, we 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 talked about that with John Garth. We we talked about that mm-hmm. with Simon Tolkien. Yes, we did. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it it was it was brutal. He saw he saw horrors that we cannot possibly imagine. Yeah. Um, you know, in World War One. That's true. But, um, but, but I, I think this 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 phrase here, or this just this 
this insight I just think is really fascinating. It really is. I mean, this and, is another one of those nods to the audience. It's another mm-hmm. reference to the real world. But this one, instead yeah. of being kind of a lighthearted, almost humorous thing, this is a a reminder that there are evil forces. And, mm-hmm. and I think it's fascinating that that's how he ties his legendarium to our modern reality is that, well, there yes. are still goblins. They're the ones who have invented these terrible... Uh, devices that kill people in, in large numbers. Um, yeah, and I think he's reminding us that there is a goblinish tendency in men. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then I love this little parenthetical. In those days, in those wild parts, they had not advanced, as it is called, mm-hmm. so far. Oh, that's that's brilliant, yeah. You know, he's putting air quotes around the word advanced, Yeah, exactly, yeah. And that uh-huh. really brings back, to me at least, it brings back some stuff from Mythopoeia. There's a line, mm-hmm. or a few lines, I will not walk with your progressive apes, erect and sapient. Before them gapes the dark abyss to which their progress tends, if by God's mercy progress ever ends, and does not ceaselessly revolve the same unfruitful course with changing of a name. Mm, yeah. And totally, this, this idea that progress, you know, advanced, being progress advanced. Progress leads you to this dark abyss. Yeah, progress is not yeah. always a good thing. Uh, and certainly I, yeah. in this case, being advanced uh, in, in, you know, your crafting, being able to make devices that kill multiple people, you know, kill large numbers of people at once, that's that's not a plus. Um, right. Really a powerful, powerful statement that he makes right there. It is. It is. It, and it's very, um, it's a very sad, it is. you know, uh, uh, it's a bit Deeply pessimistic, oh, yeah. a, a pessimistic view of the modern world. But, um, but I think it's. It's very Anglo-Saxon, yeah. In a yeah, way, it is. We've talked about, um, you know, Anglo-Saxon pessimism. I think, you know, a few times before, um, and I think it's, you know, it is accurate in its way. Oh, Certainly, yeah. the things that he saw. Absolutely. Um, it's kind of interesting that I, I said a moment ago that he's speaking to sort of a goblinish tendency in men. Mm-hmm. It almost seems like he's offering us um, a lie to tell ourselves, yeah, that goblins invented these horrible machines and not us, yeah. Um, and, and and that's kind of a paradox, and I'm not quite sure what to make of that mm. because I just thought of it. Um, but it it is very interesting. It's um, yeah. I'll, in other words, it's know. excusing us and saying, "Well, we didn't do this. It was the yeah. goblins." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Giving us that out, you know, gi- giving us that fantasy to believe in, and yet um, so that we don't we don't so that we can sleep at night, and yet we use so them. Don't, we don't have to right. feel the guilt of. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's an interesting insight. I hadn't I hadn't really thought about it that way, but you're right. It's, and it's only just occurred to me, and it, it, yeah. it may be something I'll look it into. It does almost or, seem like you know, an excuse and certainly not the kind of thing he would – I mean, I don't think that's the point he was trying to make. No. Yeah, um, certainly not. I think it's it just – I think it's just he's um, maybe trying to give us some hope that maybe that men can be better. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, even though we're the maybe ones who still use those devices even if we didn't invent them. Right. But we, but we can be better. Yeah. You know, we can, we can overcome right. the goblinish Cause, tendencies Because we're not goblins, ourselves. right. Right. Now, we get a little bit here. We're not going to read this, this next, the rest of the paragraph. But it's interesting that they don't hate the dwarves more than anybody else. They just hate everybody who's, uh, you know, who's orderly and yeah. prosperous. Um, but they do give us a hint that uh, there is this history somehow between. Special grudge. Yeah, yeah. there's definitely a history there. They don't like each other very much. Um, <laughs> Nope, not at all. Yeah, so we're uh, we're gonna go ahead. I'm gonna read the interrogation. Um, you know, I got I just got to point out. Yeah, you know, yeah. this goblins don't care who they catch no. as long as it is done smart and secret, and, and the prisoners are not able to defend themselves. Yeah, the last thing you want is they're a, bullies. They are. They are. They're you total know, bullies. They're bullies too. As long as they can't defend themselves, that's all good. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Awful. Yeah. So, I mean, they, really, I mean, surprise, surprise, goblins are the worst thing, <laughs> the worst people you can imagine. Yeah, there's no um, redeeming value here. No. No. No, We're, you're not, not meant to think, well, I wonder, you know, really, are the goblins just the downcast, you know, peasant class in, <laughs> in Middle Earth? And, you know, uh, right. they're just rising up against the, 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 I don't know. No. 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 So, all right, the great goblin. And I just realized as I'm coming up on this text, I have not developed a great goblin voice. So I'm just going to pull oh. one out of the hat. All right. I can't wait. Who are these miserable persons? Said the great goblin. Dwarves, and this, said one of the drivers, pulling at Bilbo's chain so that he fell forward onto his knees. We found them sheltering in our front porch. What do you mean by it? said the great goblin, turning to Thorin. Up to no good, I'll warrant. Spying on the private business of my people, I guess. Thieves, I shouldn't be surprised to learn. Murderers and friends of elves, not unlikely. Come. What have you got to say? Thorin the dwarf at your service, he replied. It was merely a polite nothing. Of the things which you suspect and imagine we had no idea at all. We sheltered from a storm in what seemed a convenient cave and unused. Nothing was further from our thoughts than inconveniencing goblins in any way whatever. That was true enough. Oh, said the great goblin, so you say. Might I ask what you were doing up in the mountains at all, and where you were coming from, and where you were going to? In fact, I should like to know all about you. Not that it will do you much good, Thorin Oakenshield. I know too much about your folk already. But let's have the truth, or I will prepare something particularly uncomfortable for you. Okay. Wow. So we have a threat of torture. Um, we yes. have, I think, the thing that I find the most intriguing is the Great Goblin knows full well who Thorin is. He does know who he is. Thorin yeah. isn't just this self-important dwarf. He really is an important dwarf. He is, yeah. Uh, and, and important enough that the Great Goblin recognizes him on sight. Yeah. Yeah, well, they have, you know, they have a special grudge against them. And as we'll oh, see, yeah. uh, they they tell stories. Uh, we'll see this in a moment that, um, you know, they, they have history. They have a memory of their past. Oh, yeah. And um, and so, yeah, they, they would remember who Thorin was. They would have told stories of who Thorin was. Mm -hmm. And who his people were and what they had done. And, and who his people were. And, um, and of course, yeah. that story would be told from their viewpoint. You know, we're just innocent bunch of goblins oh, yeah. and these dwarves Absolutely. came along kicking yeah. us out of the mountain. <clears throat> You you get that throughout, you yeah. know the, the 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 goblins are the heroes of their own stories. Oh, they you are. Know, they, I mean, look at him. They call them the murderers. Yeah, they're know? the murderers and friends of elves. They're you're thieves, the friends of elves spying yeah. on us. Right. <laughs> I really like uh, Thorn's polite nothing. Yes, isn't that he 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 has this again Thorn style. He has this very bloviating style. Yes, and he and he really even his does. response is filled with that. that yeah, kind of it, it really is sort of. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It it's I, I feel like he's using politeness as kind of a subtle weapon, you know. Oh, yeah. It's a it's it's a bit sarcastic and I think he's just trying to show that he is such an important dwarf and such a civilized person that he is more courteous than he will be more courteous than the goblins even when he's captured by yeah. them. They're not going to be able to reduce him to their level. <laughs> fact, uh, or even, it even makes, bring him down. It makes me think maybe that 
at that point, and I know this is total, like, I actually think I'm wrong, but it, it, it's entertaining <laughs> to think that the great goblin didn't recognize Thorin on sight, but he recognized him when he opened his mouth and started talking and wouldn't <laughs> shut up. Oh, you're Thorin. I know you. There's only one dwarf who's got a mouth on him like that. That's <laughs> Thorin Oakenshield. <laughs> I'm sure that's not the case, but it certainly is funny to think about Pro- it. Probably way. not, but it's 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 funny. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he wants to but, know everything. He doesn't just want to know, you know, what you're doing. He wants to know where you're coming from, where you're going to, and that's still not enough. I want to know more all about you. Yeah. And yet he already knows enough. He knows yeah. enough about Thorin. To say, but yeah, I mean, he he knows enough about Thorin to know that whatever Thorin is doing is yeah. going to be something that he, the Great Goblin, does not like. No, no, of course you know, not. He knows he knows where Thorin comes from. Uh, he's had wars with Thorin's people before, mm-hmm. and he probably knows that if Thorin is crossing the mountains, he's he probably has he, some idea yeah. that he's going back home. He's, or he's might trying be to find looking for goblins to, to kill. Or that too, you know, yeah. Raise an army or something. Something, something he doesn't like. Something something that's not going to be good for the goblins. Yeah, because if Thorin raises an army, where's it going to go? You know, they're going right. to they're going to take out some goblins. So right. you know, Thorin. Thorin. But I love Thorin's answer. I know. <laughs> Would anybody believe this answer? You know, over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we go. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like you know. Our relatives, nephews and nieces, first, second, third cousins. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, there's confirmation, by the way, that there are, in fact, female dwarves. Our nephews and nieces. You mean <laughs> dwarves mean, don't just spring out of holes in the ground? <laughs> fully formed? No. And, of course, we know about, what is it, Dis, I think? Uh, mm-hmm. Dis was uh, Feely and Keeley's mother. Yeah. Thorne's sister. Yep. So, but nieces, they have nephews and nieces. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, and they're heading over in these truly hospitable mountains. I mean, he's just, <laughs> I know. again. <laughs> A more obsequiousness, you more, know. More, absolutely Oh, more. yes, you're, you're truly uh, hospitable mountains. But then the you. sword comes out, right? Then the, the yes. one of the drivers pulls out the sword and that, boy, forget just seeing Thorn. That's not what sets off the Great Goblin. It's seeing no. the sword. Um, yeah. They knew it. They recognized it. They'd heard they about it. this clearly. Uh, they knew yep. exactly what Orchrist was. They called it Biter. And they they had stories about it. They, oh, yes, they, they did. And, and again, look at their stories. You know, they're the heroes of this story. The pharaohs oh, yeah. of Gondolin hunted them in the hills yep. or did battle before their walls. They're, mm. um, they, are, they are the good guys in their own story. They are. They, they were the ones who had been hunted. Uh, yeah, you're right. And they hated it. They hated the sword, and they hated worse anyone that carried it. So, Thorin yep. Thorin's in deep trouble now. Yes, uh, he is. And tell us, what does the great goblin have to say? Murderers and elf friends, the great goblin shouted. Slash them, beat them, bite them, gnash them. Take them away to dark holes full of snakes, and never let them see the light again. He was in such a rage that he jumped off his seat and himself rushed at Thorin with his mouth open. Just at that moment, all the lights in the cavern went out, and the great fire went off, poof, into a tower of blue glowing smoke, right up to the roof, that scattered piercing white sparks all among the goblins. The yells and yammering, croaking, gibbering and jabbering, howls, growls and curses, shrieking and skriking that followed were beyond description. Several hundred wild cats and wolves being roasted slowly alive together would not have compared with it. The sparks were burning holes in the goblins, 
and the smoke that now fell from the roof made the air too thick for even their eyes to see through. Soon they were falling over one another and rolling in heaps on the floor, biting and kicking and fighting, as if they had all gone mad. Suddenly, a sword flashed in its own light. Bilbo saw it go right through the great goblin as he stood dumbfounded in the middle of his rage. He fell dead, and the goblin soldiers fled before the sword, shrieking into the darkness. Oh man, what a scene that is. Mm-hmm. What a scene. I would have much preferred that <laughs> to, the, yeah, to what we saw to in the that, film. That big chase. And the... Well, yeah, I mean, the chase would have been later, and we were going to get a little bit of a chase here, but, but even just... I, I... Yeah. To be honest, I, I, I truly cannot remember <laughs> much about the film. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember. blame you. I, I can't remember much that they did. I, I know that they changed it a lot, but I just, yeah, I do have trouble remembering details about that movie. Well, you know, it, the, the, they made the, the death of the Great Goblin didn't happen until after the chase, whereas here it happens before the chase. Okay, right. Uh, and that's really the big difference. But just this, this picture of the, the lights going out, of it being total darkness yes. and... I love that. The fire going on, going out and the sparks among the goblins. And I love this auditory description. Mm-hmm. The yells yeah. and yammering, croaking, gibbering and jabbering, howls, growls mm-hmm. and curses, shrieking and skriking. Wow. Mm-hmm. And the, the A skrike, incidentally, is a shrill cry or screech, yes. which you could probably figure out. Yeah, I, exactly. And I, I meant to, to mention that. But I love this. <laughs> to, to bring that into real world... Uh, you know, a, a, an understanding that we might have. The narrator tells us that several hundred wild cats and wolves. Wild cats and wolves being roasted slowly alive together. together. Cats and wolves yeah. who already are going to make which, noise, even if they're not Which are already going to make noise together. Imagine them in a big mesh bag oh. fighting each other <laughs> and being roasted slowly alive. <laughs> uh, now that you have that picture in your mind, have a great night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, also... Uh, also, other just wretched pictures. Uh, yeah. Take them away to dark holes full of snakes. Yeah. Ooh. That's that's specific. Really? Really? You have dark holes full of snakes waiting <laughs> must, for people? They must have dark holes full of snakes waiting for prisoners. Well, we know that's, uh, you know, that, that, that's that been a way of executing people in the past. <laughs> yes, it has. Yeah. Uh, Vikings? Yep. Yep. That's exactly what I was thinking was, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I don't want to spoil it. No, but, don't yeah. want to. Yeah, we'll just leave it there. <laughs> just leave it there in case people, folks haven't watched it. But, um, yeah, yeah, what a, <laughs> um, and I love it. It's almost like Gandalf cast um, some sort of madness spell, you know, some sort of uh, mm, yeah, uh, enraged or something like that. Because here they are biting and kicking each other, you know, biting and biting and yeah. kicking and fighting as if they'd all gone mad. Yeah, they're um, just kind of bewildered and just kind of like bewildered. That's yeah, a good word. Don't know what to what to make of anything. Now, be- before we wrap up this segment, do you have anything on suddenly a sword flashed in its own light? We should talk a little bit about that because you know we we know that unlike in the film, yeah. Orcrist and Glamdring are like Sting; they glow and they glow with their light with yeah. their light. So, um, you know, I, uh, I I I made a note here that I wanted to look into this, and I did, but I, I really couldn't find a whole lot okay. about. Um, about elvish swords, except you know what we already yeah, what we know. I think know if we've read the books. You know, um, in uh, it's in Lord of the Rings. I think it's in Fellowship uh, where the 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 
passage appears. It says, Being the works of elvish smiths in the elder days, these swords shone with a cold light if any orcs were near at hand. Okay. And he's speaking of uh, Glamdring and Sting, obviously, but he is specifically speaking of both of them. Right. Um, we really don't know anything about why they do this. You know, obviously, um, these were swords made in Gondolin. The mm-hmm. elves of Gondolin would have had lots of good reasons for uh, making weapons specifically designed to fight orcs. And, and right. you know, this would have been a, a good Yeah, any sort of early warning system. Tool to, yeah, yeah to, to build into them. Um, but, uh, you know, all, all I've got on it really is just uh, it, the light is blue, <laughs> kind of like Feanorian lamps, which is another there you uh, go. magical Noldoran uh, thing that glows. But don't really know anything about what makes the blue light or how they did it. You know, we know Tolkien yeah. didn't really no, he doesn't go into, go that into that those kind of, of details. But... Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a very good clarification for anybody who hasn't read the book f- book before. Yeah, um, it it sounds like all swords made by Elvish smiths in the elder days, certainly the ones from Gondolin, right, um, did this. They they all glowed. Yep, yep. Whenever orcs were near, so it wasn't just yep. Sting, and that's and that's important. But... Right. So after yep. the great goblin is dead, that'll do it. Uh, the <laughs> Gandalf puts his sword back and and basically says, "Let's get going." You know, follow me. Have we? Uh, go ahead. Have we gotten the? No, we haven't gotten the name yet. Okay, no, never mind. No, we haven't. Uh, we haven't. I'll talk about the name in a minute. <laughs> um, so they're they're, you know, trying to run away from this uh, this passage, and um, they realize that you know the Gandalf tells them the torches are going to be relit pretty soon, and and they're going to be after us. So. Uh, you know, Dory's got got Bilbo on his shoulders, and so he's running a little bit slow. Good, good old Dory, nice guy, yeah. Dory. I don't think this is the last time Dory carries Bilbo, is it? It is not the last time Dory helps Bilbo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dory and Balin, those are the, those are the two that I always remember. The Bomber being... carries him at one point, uh, or carried oh, you're right. him. Yeah. I think it was was that previously, or is that later? I think or, it might be later. I think it is later. You're right. Uh, it's I think it's later in this chapter. Actually, I may be wrong. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and read yes, uh, you're right. the next. You're right. I'm going to read the next couple of paragraphs. Then Gandalf lit up his wand. Of course it was Gandalf. But just then they were too busy to ask how he got there. He took out his sword again, and again it flashed in the dark by itself. It burned with a rage that made it gleam if goblins were about. Now it was bright as blue flame for delight in the killing of the great lord of the cave. It made no trouble whatever of cutting through the goblin chains and setting all the prisoners free as quickly as possible. This sword's name was Glamdring, the Foehammer, if you remember. The goblins just called it Beater, and hated it worse than Biter, if possible. Orcris, too, had been saved, for Gandalf had brought it along as well, snatching it from one of the terrified guards. Gandalf thought of most things, and though he could not do everything, he could do a great deal for friends in a tight corner. Are we all here? said he, handing his sword back to Thorin with a bow. Uh, let me see. One, that's Thorin. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. What a Feely and Keely. Here they are, twelve, thirteen, and, and here's Mr. Baggins, fourteen. Well, well, it might be worse, and, and then again it might be a good deal better. No ponies and no food and no knowing quite where we are and hordes of angry goblins just behind. On we go. I'm not sure that it could be any worse, really. <laughs> other it, than can't, being it dead. can't be much worse. Um, they're, they're all alive. That's I about guess the that's only about part, it. really. I mean, they no but transport, not for long, no food. If they don't do something, oh my goodness, this is a bad, bad spot to be. Yeah. Um, yep. So Glamdring, uh, we get a, yeah. we get to see Glamdring the Foehammer or Beater, 
So they beater. we know they call them biter and beater or beater and biter. biter and beater. I love those Ooh. because they're they're almost translations. Yeah. You know, biter for cleaver. Yep. The 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 the, the uh, what was it? The orc cleaver. Yep. Orc cleaver. Uh, beater for the the hammer. Yep, the faux hammer. hammer. Uh, they're they're very rough, imprecise translations. Very. But hey, goblins, goblins are rough, right. imprecise people. That they are. Uh, I think it's it's very fitting. Yeah, it really is, and uh, you know, I love that uh, Gandalf was able to grab Orcrist. Of course, that's that's a handy thing. Yeah, um, handed it to Thorin with a bow. I yeah, kind of like that. Such courtesy. Yeah, here you are. Uh, yeah, reminder, you know, reminder of uh, of Thorin's position. Yeah, he is the king, like and he's yeah. the leader of the company. Yeah, yeah, it is an interesting thing that you know Gandalf at, at no point uh, attempts to uh, take leadership of the group. Yeah, he's you know? not here to usurp it that is, role. Right. It is. It is Thorin's party. It's Thorin's quest. Yep. Uh, Gandalf is here to help, and help he does. But uh, he doesn't. Um, you know, he, he's always uh, deferential to Thorin. Yeah. And I'm also. I like this reminder that Gandalf. Uh, you know, this is the. It, it, we we're basically told not just that he's not this kind of wizard, but we're told that he has limitations. He could not do everything, but yeah. he could do a great deal for friends in a tight corner. Yeah. So you yeah. know, we we understand that he has some limitations. Um, yeah. You know, he couldn't just magically teleport them to the Lonely Mountain, for instance, and dispatch the, the dragon with, uh, you know, one swift, you know, swash of his wand. Right, uh, you know, right. His staff. Well, and we know that, you know, that's not something that he could no. that he could do, you no. know, as one of the Astari. That's right. I mean, they're they're intentionally limited. What, what did you say in the other, in the previous episode? He's not that kind of wizard? He's not that kind of wizard. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, so we, we get that, you know, pretty soon they're, they're being chased. They can hear the goblins coming from behind. Um, poor Bilbo cannot go anywhere near as fast. And I love this little line for dwarves can roll along at a tremendous pace. I can tell you when they have to, that totally (laughs) makes me think of the movie line. And I know it's just a movie line, but, but of Gimli, (laughs) (laughs) I know what you mean. Yeah. Very dangerous over short distances. We, we We dwarves dwarves are wasted on on cross country. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, That's great. So they're they're carrying Bilbo and they're taking it in turns. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this is where we end up seeing that Bomber has him on his back for a little while. Yeah. Uh, I would be thinking um, that he's the one that we should probably skip if we're taking turns. <laughs> you you would think that Bomber would be the one who would not who would not be asked to carry yeah. the Hobbit. Yeah. Since he's already carrying the equivalent of, of at least a Hobbit's weight around his middle, you know. Yeah. Uh, poor guy. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Thorin didn't carry him either. Uh, by the way, I'm just thinking. So that I'm did sure leave. he did not. No, no. he's a very important dwarf. He left uh, that to the others. Yes, I, I like this uh, this mention of the flap of the goblin feet. Yes, <laughs> I have to say a word about this here because I was really happy to see that Douglas Anderson made the same connection I did between mm-hmm. uh, this very ugly, scary, menacing flap of goblin feet and uh, a poem Tolkien wrote yep. about goblin feet back in 1915. I think that was the first thing um, of his that was ever published, wasn't it? It was the first thing of his that was ever published. And Anderson actually includes the entire text of that poem. Oh, yeah, um, he does. That's right. It's a fairly lengthy passage. footnote, yeah. It, it is, and it's um, it's kind of fun. It's, it's very silly. Oh, it is. Uh, it's called Goblin Feet, and it actually includes one line that I just have to get out here. <laughs> oh, the echo of their feet, of their little happy feet. Um <laughs> So uh, clearly this was a young Tolkien's yeah. uh, Im- impression of goblins, very different from the goblins of The Hobbit. Um, you, you could certainly quote Treebeard when you're describing the goblins and goblin feet as, uh, <laughs> you are not 
orcs. <laughs> but yeah, as you said, it was uh, Tolkien's first ever published work. Yep. Uh, like many authors' first published works, oh, he, he came yeah. to hate it later in his life. Yes. It's uh, there's a in part of the commentary to the Book of Lost Tales, Christopher Tolkien reports his father saying in 1971, he said, I wish the unhappy little thing representing all that I came so soon after to fervently dislike could be buried forever. (laughs) So uh, sorry about that, Professor Tolkien, for perpetuating it. Oh, Um, man. But uh, no, I I thought of this immediately when reading it on this, you know, the flap of the goblin feet. feet. and and I have to think that, you know, as early as the 1930s when he was writing this, I think Tolkien was already trying to erase these happy goblin feet from his <laughs> from his memory <laughs> by writing this passage, you know, by creating this uh, this this fearsome, these these terrifying goblin feet flapping. That is that is hilarious. By the way, just, it's just a fun one. And if you've got Anderson's book, yeah. uh, definitely check that oh, out. Yeah, it's and, worth and reading. Check out the text of that poem. Just remember the whole time that Professor Tolkien wished you weren't reading it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, I meant to say earlier that your um, your Goblin King was was quite well done. I, I wanted to say that when oh, you were you. in the middle of it, I was I was quite impressed. So thank you very much. I just happened to remember that. Um, I had a lot of fun with that. One. That was a fun one. I mean, you know, but the the slash them beat them. I was like, wow, wow, you're getting into this, dude. Good job. The rocks, <laughs> but uh, completely. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, so we've already talked about Bomber, and you know, why in the world is the fat one carrying Bilbo? Uh, yeah, the 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 swords save the day, right? So why don't you can you read that little mm-hmm. bit about how the swords save the day? Sure, I've got a little passage here. There was nothing else to be done, and the goblins did not like it. They came scurrying round the corner in full cry, and found goblin cleaver and foe hammer shining cold and bright, right in their astonished eyes. The ones in front dropped their torches and gave one yell before they were killed. The ones behind yelled still more and leaped back, knocking over those that were running after them. Biter and beater, they shrieked, and soon they were all in confusion, and most of them were hustling back the way they had come. It was quite a long while before any of them dared to turn that corner. I imagine it would be. <laughs> I bet they were sadly not long, a long time. Sadly not long enough, but uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as we'll yeah. read shortly. But, um, True. Yeah, I mean, this is, again, radically different from the movie. It nowhere near... As crazy and chaotic and physics defying and you know all sorts of stuff uh, that that wild chase, yeah. but uh, it definitely you know the, their fear of the weapons is real uh, and and legitimate. Yeah. It's totally justified. I mean, with good reason. Yeah. They're you know they, these aren't just swords out of legend anymore. They've now seen yeah one of these just cut down their leader like it was nothing. Yeah, just you know one 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 stab through the middle and he's gone. Right, um, and now you know a couple more and. Yeah. Yeah. I mean they they got numbers but none of them want to die. You know, these these aren't right. brave <laughs> these aren't brave beings. Uh they only no, have strength in not. numbers. Um Right. But they quickly discover that uh you know they can they can do this in the dark. They don't need to carry torches. So th- instead of it's it's uh, that whole thing about you know when you carry a flashlight when you're looking for somebody, the person you're looking for can see you long before you can see them. Right, uh, yeah. And they, they kind of figure that out right. and realize our best bet is going to be to go dark and quiet. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, sure enough, I love this line, as swift as weasels in the dark. <laughs> That's a good that one. That is, yeah. because, you know, weasels, weasels are, are not dark. a good animal. You never think of the noble. I, I have never heard weasel used as a, as a positive exactly. metaphor. Exactly. It's, it's never a, yeah. the noble weasel. <laughs> Finds his way. I mean, you never hear that in in like do- nature documentaries. 
somewhere there is the Weasel Enthusiasts Club I'm of sure North America. I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. There's, there's probably not many of them. Probably not. But um, they're meeting in an IHOP somewhere, and <laughs> they probably do refer to the Noble Weasel. But the yeah, noble I weasel think most of us have some pretty negative now. connotations with weasels. Yeah, for a good reason. It's Wesselton. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone with children will oh, recognize that line. Duke, Duke of Wesselton. Yes. Who, by the way, was voiced by, um, and I don't know how to pronounce Alan Tudyk. Alan Tudyk. Yeah. Who was. I think that's his, how you say I it. I think Alan so. Tudyk. Yeah. Uh, who, was, who was the pilot in Firefly. Wash from Wash, Firefly. Absolutely yeah. loved Wash. Great guy. Yeah. Also uh, played a weasel in Zootopia. Yes, he did. Who was named Duke named, Wesselton? Uh, named Duke Duke Weaselton or Duke Wesselton? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> He's quite the VO guy. We have children, folks. We, do. Yeah. <laughs> we have we have we have young yeah, children. We digress, and now you know why. Um, yep. So we're told that that is why they didn't hear them coming, but they were seen by the goblins that ran silently up behind. For Gandalf was letting his wand give out a faint light to help the dwarves as they went along. Quite suddenly, Dory. Now at the back again, carrying Bilbo, was grabbed from behind in the dark. He shouted and fell, and the hobbit rolled off his shoulders into the blackness, bumped his head on hard rock, and remembered nothing more. <laughs> well, I was always told as a child about the dangers of hard rock, but that was in a different context. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was more like the uh, the Goblin song. Yeah, the yeah, exactly. Um, poor Dory. <laughs> Once again, but boy, is that yeah. that is foreboding, folks. That yeah. that is definitely that that's a that's a cliffhanger. That is a, a cliffhanger, and it's going to be a cliffhanger yeah. for us too because next week we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Our next episode will be our first ever questions after nightfall. Several of That's our patrons, right. uh, hopefully several of our patrons, I hope it's more than one or two that show up, uh, are going to be I joining so. us on the air for some live unscripted Q&A that will be recorded and released to all listeners uh, next week as episode 60. Now, I say live, and by that I just mean they're with us live. We're not broadcasting it live. Right. Uh, so yeah. there's still not going to be, you know, there's not going to be any editing. It's just... They're with us. They're not sending in questions that we can spend an hour and a half researching. They're spending. They're going to ask us questions. They're, they're asking hear, us questions on the fly, and we're going to have the to fly, answer them and we're going to have right to go. Uh, right. Yeah. Sean, and, do you have anything? <laughs> and because of all that, it is going to be an interesting one. I'm oh, sure. it will. I interesting think, uh, isn't the word. I know. I think some of these folks are going to have their best questions lined up and are definitely yeah. going to be playing a, a little game of stump the PPP host. So <laughs> you will not want to miss uh, tuning in for the recording and hearing that. Uh, as well, actually, 60. you might. You're welcome to. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Feel free to skip that one. No, that's right. No, please don't. You'll enjoy it. And, you know, we'll be doing that once a quarter from now on as part of our, our Patreon deal. So if you want to participate in the next one, you want to be on the show with us and hear your question asked by you, not by us reading your letter. Mm -hmm. You want yep. to be on the show and have a chat with us. Join our Patreon family at patreon.com slash prancingponypod. As always, it is thanks to our Patreon family that we've been able to make this move to weekly episodes. Yep. Uh, and like we said, we have another big goal to reach. Uh, we want to be able to, to, to attend a conference or a moot near you uh, mm -hmm. maybe once a year. And that's a big, big goal. So, um, we got some great rewards, and one of those rewards that will hopefully entice you to sign up is some exclusive content. 
That's right. And one of the, the pieces of exclusive content that we're offering our patrons is uh, postscripts to each episode. Yeah. They're usually about... Uh, we started out five to ten minutes. They're <laughs> now something like ten to fifteen minutes. Or um, but uh, but we, we yeah, um, but we do those for every episode. Um, yep. We record our episodes uh, a couple of weeks before they're released, before they yeah. hit the feed, um, and so we get a chance to listen to them before they release, and that gives us a chance to see if there are any jokes we missed out on, uh, topics <laughs> that we wish we had delved into a yeah. little bit more. Unanswered um, questions, yeah. Unanswered questions. Mistakes we made. Um, yeah. Or you. Mistakes you made. Mistakes. <laughs> yeah, <yeah. laughs> yes. My, my co-host has not made any mistakes. Uh, Don't I wish. Don't I wish. Recently. Anybody who knows. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Taniquitil. Uh, <laughs> See, I'm going to get it right. See? Yeah, you are. <laughs> I think oh, your goodness. last big mistake was uh, following my lead on something. So on, there you go. On uh, yeah, that Dunsany. guy Dunsany. Yeah, Lord yeah. Dunsany. That was it. That Lord. was your last. That Dunsany. was your last time in the what did we call it? The uh, the, the mispronunciation penance chamber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, just anything we missed out on, anything we want to go yeah. into a little bit more, anything we want to anything we want to amend, uh, things like exactly. that. We put in those postscripts and and our patrons get them uh, usually the same day the episode releases. That is the, the whole object. So if you want access to those bonuses, be sure to join the Fellowship of the Podcast. Uh, we're also looking at doing uh, a three-part behind the scenes on the pre-production, production, and post-production of mm-hmm. our episodes. So you get to find out, get to take a little look behind the curtain. Uh, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Uh, but you will get to see you get, a little you bit get of to how, see the, the, uh, yeah, how the, the sausage uh, is made. Yeah, the the fifteen minutes we spend researching each episode. And, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Don't I wish? Yeah. Um, we uh, we do want to thank those of you who have joined the fellowship of the podcast. You really truly are helping to make this show even better. We're able to put more resources into it, and we thank you for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's not forget a very special shout out to Maya in Michigan and Jason in British Columbia. Those are our patrons at the Kierdance Contribution tier. And if you want a personalized shout-out on our episodes, now you know where to go. Now you know how to do it. And while your support is really appreciated, uh, I cannot stress this enough. We do yeah. not want you to feel obligated. That is true. Only if you can afford it and only if you think we've earned it do we yeah. want you to consider signing up for the Fellowship of the Podcast. Otherwise, just keep listening to the podcast and keep enjoying it because we'll keep making it. That is right. We certainly will. So, Sean, I know we've got a couple of questions in Barnum's bag this time around. What do we have? Well, I'm going to take advantage of uh, the time we have left to finish with uh, a few shorter questions and comments and, and maybe one long one. So, okay. first of all, we've got just a comment from uh, a Priority Access patron, uh, Sharat in Maryland. And uh, Sharat wrote in after episode 55 saying... I was puzzled. Uh, oh, well, I, I guess I should set this one up a little bit. Uh, in episode 55, we talked about uh, the pronunciation of dwarvish names. Oh, yes, yes. Um, and, and we uh, we said that we are, um, we say Thrayan, we say Dayan, we say Owen and Glowen. Right. And we cited some, some work done by uh, Dr. Corey Olson, and, and that was released on his podcast as a, a supplement to his podcast. Sure. Where he... He proved uh, or he gave evidence for this, right. you know, for this pronunciation. Um, so Sharat wrote in uh, with a, a little bit of a puzzlement over that. So okay. Sharat said, I was puzzled by Dr. Olson's conclusion that Thrayan would be the correct pronunciation because if the two vowels were pronounced separately and were not diphthongs, then there's no way the A would make that sound. So I went hunting. I found a paper from a myth moot that discusses the subject. 
the conclusion seems to be that we can't definitively settle on a pronunciation for Thrain, that uh, there's other evidence that Dr. Olson doesn't consider, and that Thrain, rhyming with train, is the most popular pronunciation. Uh, anyway, that is the pronunciation I'll stick with, and you're welcome to choose the one you like. <laughs> well, we're, we appreciate that. <laughs> we, we do appreciate that. Uh, uh, fair enough, Sharat. Uh, I, I actually did. Uh, I looked at the paper that Sharat sent to us, okay. and uh, and I, I, you know, I thank you for the tip on that. Um, it, I'll, I'll make sure to put a link to it in our show notes for okay. anyone who's interested in reading it. That'd be great. Um, it, there is some interesting information there. I will still be one of the minority saying Thrain because uh, I think I said this. Then I've said it for a long time, hmm. but uh, Alan, if you say Thrain, I won't hassle you, and I won't correct anybody else. You say uh, Thrain, and I say, say you say Thrain, I say Thrain. Let's call the whole thing thre- off. That's right. <laughs> I'm not going to correct anybody unless they say Thrine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll definitely have words then. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I I'll probably end up saying Thrain because that's what I've said uh, for yep. years, but. Um, you know, fair it all depends. I will not. I will not hassle you. It will not be another Tanny Quiddle. Because <clears throat> man, I've had fun with that one. You sure have. I really have. I Boy, really that have. The, that's the mispronunciation that will never die. No. <laughs> so, uh, that was that one. Thank you, Sharat, and yeah, uh, yeah, and, thank and, you. and I appreciate the input on that one. And uh, again, uh, check our show notes for that paper. Yeah. Next, I'd like to take a two-part question from our old friend Mick in Drawheada, Ireland. Actually, uh, no, I lied. It's actually not really a two-part question. It's actually two separate questions that came in in one email, but they're both short. Okay, fair enough. So, uh, so first, I'll let, you, I'll let you do that. I won't hassle you for that. Thank you. Thank you very much. We're being so nice to each other, so so supportive. <laughs> first, Mick asks about the trolls' culinary skills and ideas. He says, despite Bilbo being something new to them, they were quite prepared to eat Hobbit, as long as there were enough of them to make a pie. They're not your typical rip-your-leg-off-and-eat-it barbarian. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, so, uh, yeah, good good observation there, Mick. Uh, to that, I would answer, uh, I don't know how they do things in Ireland, um, but here in Texas, there are some people that I know who, they probably don't even know all their ABCs, but, man, they can cook some of the best barbecue you ever had. <laughs> and, and the more, uh, let's say, the more rustic they are, uh, the more likely they it's are tactful. to know how to, thank you. Yeah. Uh, the more likely they are to be the guys who know how to butcher and cook any animal they find, kill or find dead on the ground. Ew. Um, you know, may not be Road the sharpest kill knife barbecue, in the drawer. Huh? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but you can bet they know how to use that knife to field dress a jackalope if they found one. <laughs> so, so I'm not surprised at all that the trolls had some some culinary tricks in their back pocket. Interesting. Well, you know, I, I tend to think it's just a matter of, look, if you only do a few things in life, you're probably going to get better at them. Um, I'm sure that younger trolls off on their first few kills are more like your typical rip your leg off and eat it barbarian types, if I can borrow a mixed <laughs> turn of phrase. But, you know, eventually even kids get tired of chicken nuggets and start wanting to actually cook something tasty. <laughs> and that's when they start asking. Yeah. That's when they start asking, you know, so what can I really do with the case may be right? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. So then they figure out, okay, well, can we boil them, mash them, you know, put them in a stew? Oh, wait, those are potatoes, not dwarves. Squash them in a jelly. Squash them in a jelly. Yeah. 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 There you go. That's good. (laughs) So that's great. Thank you for that one, Mick. Um, With a side of chunky salsa, as we discussed. Oh, man. The chunky salsa comes back. (laughs) Thank you for that one. We got... We got a comment on Facebook that one of our listeners yes. will never be able to eat chunky salsa again, <laughs> thanks to Alan. 
Well, I'm very sorry. I truly Chunky's am. Chunky's also metaphor. That's okay. Guacamole's better anyway. Yeah, I'm kind of more of a guacamole and queso fan. There you go. But uh, anyway, well, thank you for that one, Mick. And uh, We digress. He's got another one, though, right? What's the second question? We do have a, a second question from Mick where he says, Is the white horse ridden by Gandalf in Chapter 2 the germ of what became Shadowfax in The Lord hmm. of the Rings? I'll take this one. Um, it's a good question, Mick, but I'm I'm going to say no because the name Shadowfax, if we look at the, the meaning of that, means having a shadow gray mane and coat. And he's being he's described in the book as being gray or silver. Uh, there's a quote that says, by, by day his coat glistens like silver, and by night it is like a shade, and he passes unseen. So I'm thinking he's not white. <laughs> you know, I knew that, but I, thanks to Peter Jackson, I, I, I kind of forget that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So uh, probably not the germ of what became Shadowfax, except for the fact that it's the germ of the idea that Gandalf has a horse. Well, yeah. But, so uh, many subtle changes, Mr. Jackson. So many subtle changes. <laughs> but that one doesn't change the core of the original. No, it doesn't. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with it. But, no, you I know, don't. of course, Gandalf needs a horse. I mean, it, to the extent that it's a germ. I mean, Gandalf needs a horse. The public transportation system in Middle Earth leaves a ton to be desired. I mean, there's never an eagle around when you want one. And when a Balrog man spreads on the subway, they took up every <laughs> seat. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the Balrog man spreading. Oh. <laughs> yep. Oh, goodness. And that's okay. not even considering the ones with wings. Oh, man. Those guys. Those, those guys take up. Yeah, they can't even get on the subway. No, they can't. They can't get those wings through the. Have you seen, the, you know, the no. wingspan of a Balrog? Uh, it's nil, no. actually. But. It's nil. That's right. Absolutely <laughs> nil. How do you measure shadow and flame? Right. All right. All right. All right. Well, we digress. And we finally, do digress. our long question comes, uh, our long question tonight. Those comes were our from, short questions? Those were our short ones. <laughs> oh, man. Um, this is the Prancing Pony podcast, man. We, we go deep. Our long question tonight comes from Nick P. in Nashville, Tennessee. Nick said, I had a question about a possible correlation between music and Bilbo's sudden awakening to the outside world. As Thorin pulls out his harp, the passage says, when Thorin struck it, the music began all at once, so sudden and sweet that Bilbo forgot everything else and was swept away into dark lands under strange moons, far over the water and very far from his hobbit hole under the hill. My thoughts immediately go to Ainulindale, where music is the means for creation. I would argue that hmm. music is also the means for which adventure, newness, and love, among other things, cause transformation. Perhaps Bilbo is awakened to things beyond his small world of the water and the hill because music is one of the primary means in which Eru Iluvatar acts. In light of The Hobbit also being a standalone story, do you think that there is a connection between Bilbo's sudden awareness of the wide world with the music of the dwarves in relation to the rest of their legendarium? So, uh, now that I've managed to get that one out, um, it is a very cool question, and I have to say thank you, Nick. That's a, it's a really neat one that I enjoyed thinking about. Um, I think it's interesting that Nick asks specifically about the fact that, um, you know, The Hobbit, in light of The Hobbit being a standalone story. So I think we have an opportunity here to answer this question, both thinking of The Hobbit as a standalone story mm -hmm. and also thinking of The Hobbit as part of the, the larger legendarium. So yeah. uh, what we've decided to do for this one tonight is I'm going to answer it one way and Alan's going to answer it the other way. There you go. So I'm going to answer 
with uh, the idea of The Hobbit as a standalone story. And I think what we'll find is, uh, even within the context of The Hobbit, music is a means for delivering poetry. Mm -hmm. Um, We talked in chapter one about how Gandalf is a guy who goes from place to place and these stories pop up in his wake. You know, these adventures happen and and people tell stories about those adventures. Usually Uh, after he sold buttons at the door. (laughs) Usually, (laughs) yeah. And and only after he's wowed them with his fireworks and you know yeah and the magic and, and the magic cufflinks, um, but we so what we see there is that adventures and stories are intimately connected, but yeah what do we know about stories? Well, they're usually told in words and music, um, yep. usually as uh, you know in a medieval world medieval like world I should say like Middle Earth uh, they're usually going to be in the form of sung poetry. Mm-hmm. And Tolkien even tells us that when you look at something like the dwarven song, we can't quite grasp the dwarven song without the music. That's um, exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah. yeah. So so I think words and music are interconnected for Tolkien. Um, you know, we even, we, we've even talked before about how he, he talks about things like the musicality of language and things like that. Yeah. Um, but I guess what I would say is if words and music are the medium by which stories travel and stories are the record of adventures, then I, I think there absolutely is a transformative power to music and words as a means of delivering that adventure and 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 to borrow a few other things that Nick says, you know, that newness and that that mm-hmm. greatness and myth and love and all those wonderful things. Um, so yeah, I, I, I agree completely. I, I think there there is something there and, and I thank you, Nick, for bringing it up because I, I really yeah. hadn't thought about it that way before. Um, and that's just considering The Hobbit on its own. Alan, mm-hmm. I'd like to hear what you've come up with in regards to, you know, the, the greater context of the greater legendarium. Sure. Well, you know, I mean, music is, is quite literally the tool that Eru used to create mm-hmm. the universe. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the Valar subcreated Arda with their music. Right. Uh, we see the effect that music has on men when Finrod sings to the people of Beor. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know that there's any actual connection between the, the music of the dwarves and its effect on Bilbo and the music per se. I just think that Tolkien is a medievalist kind of recognizing the powerful impact that music has on storytelling, the kind of essential nature that music is to that element, mm-hmm. happened to use the medium in both tales. But I love the very thought of this. And I definitely would concur with the idea that music is often, if I can borrow a theological term, a, a mm-hmm. means of grace in which Iluvatar's voice is still heard, if ever so slightly. So maybe music is a, is a way that Iluvatar speaks to, to people, yeah, and, right. and, and maybe that's, that's what's going on a little bit. With, or like with his Bilbo. voice is still heard, just like uh, mm-hmm. you know, the music is still heard in the sound of, of ocean yeah, In the sound of the water, yeah. Right, the sound of the sea, yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's great. I, I like that, and, and I would agree. I think that's going on here as well. Um, and, you know, <laughs> we've... Talked many times, and we will continue <laughs> yeah, to talk true. about how Iluvatar is, is setting all these things in motion, you know, and Absolutely. and maybe that music is one way in which his voice is helping to nudge Bilbo out the door. I think that that's that's absolutely mm. part of it. Well, yeah, add along with Gandalf kind of ripping him out of his seat and throwing him down the street. <laughs> <That> too, yeah. <laughs> no, no time for that either. <laughs> Ilu- well, that's that's an interesting point. You know, Il- Iluvatar, the music. If we want to see Iluvatar as um, somehow connected to the music. The music is what first created the desire, you know, that first inkling of the idea in Bilbo. But he didn't make the decision, did he? That reminds me a little bit of what you talked about. Oh, it was a few episodes ago when you talked about the different wills. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, I don't remember which episode that was in, but yeah, the the, the multiple wills in in Mm -hmm. Arrow. He's got this 
you know, this is the way it should be. And this is the way it's going to be. You know, mm-hmm. these two separate things, the plan right. and the, the reality. And what I, what I took from that was there's this idea that, you know, um, that there's a, there's, a, there's a revealed will, you know, uh, maybe mm-hmm. something that, um, and, and again, thinking of, you know, from Tolkien's worldview and the way that he wrote his world, that there's an idea that um, maybe Iluvatar has a plan uh, and right. he is revealing a part of that plan to Bilbo. But it's mm-hmm. still up to Bilbo to make the decision to go out the That's door right. or, or talk to, to somebody it. else to force him to do it. Basically, We see that throughout the entire Legendarium. I mean, I, that brings me back to all of the things we talked about after Turin, the whole idea of, uh, of free will and how that interplays with, with fate, you know, with, yeah. uh, with providence, fate, and chance. Yeah. Man, love that stuff. That was a great question. Thank you for that one. Yeah, thank you, Folks, Nick. Yeah, thank you very much. And that wraps it up for another episode of the Prancing Pony Podcast. As always, we thank you very much for joining us, and we ask you to please join us next time for Questions After Nightfall. Yeah, and and you'll definitely want to tune in and see if we decide to show up for Questions After (laughs) Nightfall, because uh, we might just conveniently forget. Yeah, or maybe I'll just forget. Sean, you've got this one, right? Yeah. Yeah. We'd never think of it. Folks, we really are looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, we know you're going to enjoy listening to it. But we want to encourage you all to read along and take notes in your own copy of The Hobbit. So please, check out the official library tab on our website, theprancingponypodcast.com. We've got links to everything from inexpensive paperbacks to uh, movies and, and music to really good stuff here at Tolkien Collection. And if you wouldn't mind heading over to iTunes for us and leaving a review there, we'd really be grateful for that. Those reviews, as I've said before, they help us get more visibility in iTunes, and that just translates to more people finding us, and that creates a bigger and a a, a more vibrant and a a more active and engaged Tolkien community, and that's what we love. We really do. I mean, the community that's built up around this has really taken us by surprise, and it's it's the part of this, I think, that we enjoy, uh, you know, more than anything else, really, in terms of... uh, what has come of this all the interaction all all that's been great talking to folks on social media yeah it's been been fantastic it really has so thanks for those reviews Uh, we really do appreciate them and we do read them we want you to know that we we take those seriously and we appreciate the the encouragement and also even the the little tips and ideas and suggestions so thank you yeah definitely Um, we really do and please if you haven't subscribed if you're just you know checking us out on Facebook and you're listening to us you know embedded in our page or something that's great. We appreciate that. But make sure you never miss an episode of the show by subscribing to the podcast through iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can find us just about everywhere. Um, check out the podcast app on iOS 11 if you have a, an iPhone or anything like that. It's, it supports our new tags for season and episode. Yeah, and if, uh, if you have any questions or need information on how to subscribe, we do have information on our page yes. about that. And, of course, you can always contact us there as well. Um, And we do want to take a moment to thank all of you who have become a part of our social media family. Uh, We set out to start a conversation about Tolkien that everyone could join, uh, which is why we have the online common room. You know, we talked about this week, the common room on Facebook at the Prancing Pony Podcast and on Twitter at Prancing Pony Pod. Absolutely. And as always, one last thing. Don't forget to send your questions, comments, or your favorite heavy metal goblin song lyrics to Parliament <laughs> yeah. at theprancingponypodcast.com. Uh, our new email address, make sure you, you've taken, taken that down if you haven't already, Barlaman at theprancingponypodcast.com. And we'll try to get those into the next episode. Well, we're, again, a little bit less than an hour and a half, still far too short a time to spend among such excellent and admirable listeners. But until next time. Farewell, friends.